Hello, hello. Week three is not actually named after me, but uh, we'll just roll with it. So that was your hint. My name is Margo. I'm the Wear Love Pastor here. And if this is your first week checking us out, you picked a great week. We're at week three of our series called I Hear Voices. And it's a series about battling internal dialogue that we have. Uh, everyone has thoughts running through their head every day, 24-7. And usually if you try to weigh the helpful, positive thoughts with the negative, kind of destructive thoughts, we tend to lean more to the negative side. We're our hardest critics, our own worst enemy. So we wanted to take time to do a series to kind of tackle some ways to fight back, uh, to, fight, to fight the unfair voices that try to take advantage of us. So if you want to check out the previous two talks, you can find those at eastlaketricities.com slash talks, or if you want to listen to Brent because he is awesome and amazing and all that good stuff. You can find his talks also on there. Uh, but we're going to talk about this week, we're going to talk about fear, because one of the most common things that we battle in our head is fear. And I'm not talking about fear of irrational things. I'm talking about very, very rational fears that we have, concerns, worries for the future, worries for health, for finances, for our kids. Uh, we have all these things that we get concerned about, and then we end up getting stuck in this loop of what if, and this is all going to go wrong, and then we end up uh, just kind of going nowhere. We get a little frozen with fear, or maybe this is not a Sunday for you. Maybe you have no fear. I, I found out the other day that my fiance has no fear because we were stuck. We're driving the Cascade Loop, and we were, he was driving. It was not, I don't want to put we, it was he. He was driving. He's back here. He knows I'm telling this. Uh, he was driving my little Subaru, and we were behind a cop car who was behind a Porsche and the Porsche was going 30 miles per hour in a 45 mile per hour zone, which I feel like if you're going to go 30 miles per hour, get a Prius, not a Porsche. I don't know what their thought process was. If you have a Porsche, like use it. And that was kind of my fiance's thought and he had no fear. So of course the second, I mean the very moment that solid line became a dotted line, he was like, Whoa! And he like zipped in front of the cop car and the Porsche. And he's still pretty proud about that because that's not too many times in your life that you get to pass a cop car and a Porsche. So he has no fear. The series is not for him, but I know it's for people like me. Uh, and since it's Father's Day, I figured I'd kick off the talk. I like to talk with humorous stories, usually making fun of myself, but I figure it's Father's Day. So I'll give my dad that seat of honor because he's not here. He doesn't do the church thing. He'll never hear this. So my dad's name is Steve. Good guy. Uh, my mom also, her, her husband now is named Steve, so it makes it really easy for my fiance. Can't get it wrong. Steve and Steve, but uh, I'm talking about my dad, Steve. Great guy, but he does have this Achilles heel uh, like character flaw, which is he is curious to a fault. He is the person that's going to be 60 soon, and he will still sneak to find out his Christmas presents. Like he has, he is not able to keep his nose out of anything, and this literally got him into trouble because uh, it was a really hard season in our life. I was in middle school. My grandmother just passed. We were selling our house, and my dad, you know, he had to know everything that was getting packed away. He had to know everything that was getting thrown away, more specifically. Like, what are you doing with that? Where are you going? I've had that for 50 million years. So... He was poking his head in all the things, and I saw him coming down the hallway, and I thought he was making this weird scrunch face, and he was like trying to like blow like a snot rocket. He was like, <laughs> I'm like, what is he doing? Well, it turns out 
he had found this wooden jar that was tucked up in the closet. And so he took the wooden jar off and he lifted off the lid and thinking, not using his eyes, but thinking that it was a candle, he took a big whiff of his mother-in-law's ashes. So those just went all, all up the sinuses. So she is with him forever in sinus and in spirit. Um, but that's my dad. He's a great guy. If you wonder why I am the way I am, maybe this answered some questions. So we're going to talk today, though, about fear. My dad should have been more fearful to stick his nose in urn jars. But uh, uh, we're going to talk about rational fears, how to tackle rational fears. Irrational fears, I'm not qualified for that. I mean, people make way more money helping through those. So rational fears, though, I feel like there are some ways that we can tackle our fear of them and just be able to get to a healthier place. And I feel like a lot of people live their lives in fear of rock bottom. You've been there, you don't want to go back. Maybe everyone's rock bottom can look different. Maybe you vacation at rock bottom every year. I don't know what life is like for you. Uh, But no one wants to get there, so we panic and try to do everything that we can in our ability to avoid that discomfort, avoid those feelings, avoid rock bottom. When really, if you think about it, rock bottom has some benefits to it. Like, I think we kind of give rock bottom a hard, a hard pass. Because if you think about it, rock bottom, you know it's not going to get any worse. So that's, that's nice. And also, uh, rock bottom is great because it's solid. It's a solid place to pick yourself up and to, to go upwards. And that was really real to me when I was younger and wilder and liked to do silly things like cliff diving um, in New Hampshire in the icy glacial waters of the mountains. So I would go and cliff dive with my friends. And the worst thing about the jump, everyone will tell you, is not the jump, it's how cold the water is. It feels like you're getting stabbed. It is awful. So they told me that before I jumped for the first time, but I didn't really mentally prepare myself. So I remember I ran, I jumped, I hit the water, and you want, you're holding your breath because you know you still have to swim to the surface, but the second my skin touched that icy cold water, <sighs> like it takes the breath out of you. So now I have no breath, and I'm sinking because it was a pretty like 30 or 40 foot drop. So I'm going down in the water, and it was the moment of panic of I have no air, and I just keep going down. And you're looking up, and the sun is getting further and further away. The surface of the water is looking like the surface of the moon. You're just going down like a rock. So you start to panic. I have no air. I'm nowhere near close to the surface. But then there was that moment where I felt it. My feet touched, finally touched the bottom. And from that rock bottom, I was able to kick off and get to the surface and, you know, not drown. That's benefit. Uh, so in that case, the rock bottom was very helpful, having that platform. Like you're panicking, you think it's all over, and then you're able to propel yourself off of it. But then in comparison to that, uh, three years ago, actually today, I was in the Republic of Georgia, which is not the state with the peaches, but the weird Soviet Union, birthplace of Stalin, all kinds of great stuff. So I was serving over there doing some work, and we decided to work in this coastal town on the coast of Turkey called Baku. And Baku is on the Black Sea. And, you know, being the American tourists, we're like, we're going to go in the water. We're going to go have some good time at the beach. So we dive into the water, not realizing that none of the locals are in the water. They're on the, on the beach, but not in the water. And that's because to get to the water, it's challenging. They don't have the nice sand. It's like these 
perfectly smooth, rounded boulders about like yay big. So every time you take a step, they're all like kind of tumbling and your ankles like all wonky and it's painful. And so getting in was a pain, but getting out was nearly impossible because every time you try to take a step out, the boulders would roll backwards and you'd be in the waves and then the waves would come down hard. So you're getting smacked by the water from, from the back and then the rocks are tumbling at you from the forward. So we're like trying to crawl our way out. Like all of our dignified American nature is gone. We're just looking like beached whales that can't even beach themselves. Just like trying to like get out of there. It was a mess. So I would have appreciated some solid, you know, rocky bottom at that point. So it really is interesting how how what our foundation is impacts how we're able to move on or continue in our lives. And uh, we're going to talk about foundations. There's a pretty popular story of if you ever suffered through the church thing as a kid, uh, we're going to look at today, but hopefully with some fresh eyes. So we're going to pull up the verse here. It was uh, just Jesus was talking to some of his followers. This is a story he used because I'm not smart and they weren't very intelligent. So he's like, all right, I'll use a story to try to make you understand. So this is a story that he told. Uh, So everyone who hears these words of mine, words of Jesus, and acts on them will be like a wise man. And what that means is a far-sighted, practical, and sensible man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods and torrents came, and the wind blew and slammed against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish, a.k.a. stupid man who has built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods and torrents came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great and complete was was its fall. So it was annihilated, demolished, the insurance check did not come anywhere near to being able to restore it. Uh, So this story to me and to them would iterate the fact that foundations are important. And now this was kind of a foreign concept to them. Houses at this time, like foundations weren't really a thing. It's like if you go to Texas and you're like, where's your basement? And they are like, here's my tornado cellar. And you're like, it's not the same. Uh, So foundations are important. They matter. Uh, And in our lives, what we can take from this is that foundations are key to silencing our fear. When those fears come up, when we're getting anxious about stuff, our foundation when we turn to it, when we look on it, when we build on it, that's actually the key to silencing those fears. And when it comes to fear, fear, I feel like we have this really common phrase that our minds will use. The dialogue will usually use the phrase, well, what if? Right? Who has gotten caught in that train of thought? Well, what if this happens? What it, what, like, I feel like every time you leave your house, your dog's like, well, what if they never come back? <laughs> like they're panicking or your kids, you're trying to leave them with a babysitter and they're crying. You know, what if mom and dad never return? Like we, we get stuck in this what if, and it's really not helpful because oftentimes the what if, what, what we're worrying about never comes to fruition. Like it never comes anywhere close to it. We've gotten ourselves stressed out for no reason. Um, You know, and I like this quote by Joyce Meyer. She says, worry is a down payment on a problem you probably never will have. So, you know, don't waste your money. Don't waste your time. Uh, There's a Swedish proverb that says, worry makes a small thing cast a large shadow. I thought that was kind of cutesy. But we get worried. You know, we start thinking like, what if my 
job? And what if I never get that raise and my finances don't approve? What if my kid doesn't get into college? What if my health doesn't take a turn for the better? What if mom and dad need to stay with me? What if, what if, what if, what if the Mariners never get better? I mean, we just get in this, this panic and it doesn't really help us. And I find it's a spiral. The what, of, the what ifs build on each other and we end up in this downward spiral of fear and depression over things that haven't actually happened yet. Like we're spending so much of our mental space on things that haven't happened. And, and the, this book that we're basing this series on called Crash the Chatterbox, he, he gives some tools to help us overcome it. And he says there's, there's three kind of dialogue starters you need to, to approach when the what if comes. First is the what if. What if this happens? And then he says, next you have to say that would. So what if I lose my job? that would suck. Like, you know, like that, that would be very financially hard. It'd be embarrassing. It would be emotionally hurtful because I thought I was doing okay. And then here's the key though, with the, with the, that would step two, he says, we need to make sure that we assess our fear, but don't obsess over it. Assess it means you look at it from all sides. You say, yep, if this happened, this would be the result of that. It would be hard. It'd be challenging. Obsessing means that's where we stay. You just stay between, you bounce back and forth between the what if and the that would, and you just stay panicked and stressed out. But he says, when you assess instead of obsess, you're able to move on to the next step, which is saying, God will. What if I lost my job? That would be very hard, very challenging, very stressful, but God will provide another doorway for me if I'm willing to pick myself up and to look for it. But how, like I, and I'm laying it out, and in the book they kind of lay it out like it's nice and easy, but I know the reality is, even though I'm a, a, a pastor and I'm sitting on a stool, it is hard to believe and to proclaim that third part. It is hard to say, God will, whenever you're, whenever you're getting scared or stressed about something and, and fear is trying to take over you, it's hard to, to slam it down with the words or the thoughts, well, God will take care of me. God will provide, God will, you know, even if it, if, even if this happens, God will use it in some way. It's hard to get to that point. It's hard to, to really stake a claim in that and to not just like whisper it in the face of fear, but to like proclaim it boldly. And it's, it's really challenging. And I know some of you guys are like, well, I don't really worry about like crazy stuff. Maybe it's smaller stuff. So some what if examples that I feel like a lot of us struggle with is when we try something new, we usually have this voice in our said in our head that says, well, what if I look like an idiot? (laughs) After all, everyone already knows how to do it. And you're way behind. You probably will be awful at it anyways. You're a slow learner. And that keeps us from wanting to try new things or to put ourselves out there. Or maybe, maybe I think this is a, probably a more common one. Have you ever been too nervous to ask a question or to ask for clarification for something? And these are the thoughts that go through your head. What if they think you're stupid for not already knowing that? What if you're asking something that is basic knowledge to everyone else? What if they interpret you asking a question as a sign of weakness or incompetence and lose respect for you? And that can be hard. At your job, you may be given a task and you may not fully understand what you're doing, but you're just like, fake it till I make it because I don't dare ask a question. 
Or for me, I see so many beautiful, wonderful people in the lobby, and I'm like, I don't know your name. And they're like, I've been coming every week. I say hi to you. I tell you my name every time. And you you know, you know, I don't know your name. But you, you guys are good sports, and you smile. But there's this, this embarrassment that keeps us from asking that question. Uh, there was a show, How I Met Your Mother, and they talk about there's things that everyone grows up and they don't realize they don't know something. They've just never been told this and they've never been clarified that. Uh, I had a college roommate that until the age of 13 was completely unaware, because this isn't something you think to teach someone. She was completely unaware that when you use a bathroom, including public restrooms, that you actually don't need to get completely naked. She was 13 years old. And the only reason she found out that that was not the norm was that one time she took a while and her parents asked her, you know, like, what took you so long, you know, just to use the bathroom? She's like, well, I had a tough time getting my socks off. And they're like, what? (laughs) So, but there's things, there's things that we get like all caught up on and all embarrassed about. And we don't, we don't want to put ourselves out there and ask the questions, what if I look dumb? What if I, and so we get even little things, we can get caught up in the what if, and it doesn't help us, right? We don't benefit from getting stuck in the what if. We need to move, like you have to say the what if, that would, and you have to be able to move on to the God will. So, so here's, here's an example of, of, that I want to challenge you guys. It's going to be a little weird, a little uncomfortable, and maybe someone will be intelligent and totally throw off my example like the first service, but we'll just go with it. So I'm going to have split this into two different sides here, and I'm going to have you guys try to defend your side, okay? So on this side, I'm going to give you the sport that you need to defend for being the best sport of all time is football. American football, I don't know, probably Seahawks, I'm assuming, but football, so think about football. Why is football great? All the great things about football. And now this side over here, you guys need to defend rugby. All right, now make your arguments. Like, Come on, like convince the other side. Like this side, you guys probably have reasons like tailgating and Super Bowl. You get to eat till like you can't walk out the door. And like you have your reasons for loving football, but it's harder to defend rugby because you're like, I don't know anything about rugby. Like, I don't even, like, they look really tough, and we don't play it in America, and, you know, all these things. Why is it hard to defend rugby? It's because you don't know enough about it to feel confident to be like, yes, this is the best sport ever. Football is a lot easier to defend because you have a basic understanding, you know, certain players maybe, you have an affinity with the team, And that's what it's like when fears come and we don't really know or feel comfortable with the God thing, then it's harder for us to use that as a good defense, right? If we don't really know how we feel about God or religion or the Bible, then it's, then it's hard to fight back with that. It's hard to stand on that and be like, no, really, this is my truth. This will get me through. This is my foundation, and that's what it's all about. The, the Bible story is all about foundations. And our fears get crushed by a solid foundation. And I feel like we don't spend enough time looking into foundations or talking about them. Like, this story was helpful, but maybe it didn't sink in. Because what do we know about foundations? I don't make foundations. I know that they're complicated. That if you want to build a house, you have to get, like, engineers and surveyors. And 
a foundation takes a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of planning, but have you ever had guests come over your house and look around and say, you know what, you have a beautiful foundation? They don't have an HGTV special on like, most fabulous foundations of the rich and famous. Like, it's not a thing. Like, it's, you don't point out how gorgeous and how thick your foundation walls are and how, like, they've overcome the elements by diving into this limestone. Like, we don't applaud foundations. We applaud, like, shiplap and a perfectly mowed lawn and these silly things. But we don't, we don't applaud foundations. We don't pay a lot of attention to them when you're driving through a, a city. You don't think, wow, like, look at that foundation and ignore, you know, the Empire State Building. Like, we, we focus on the walls and the roof and the decoration, and you're never going to get a pat on the back for your foundation. So it's not really surprising that we end up kind of shaken and beaten up by our fears because we've never really been taught that foundations are the most important part of a house. I mean, luckily in Washington, there's not too many natural disasters that go on. So, but if you look, if you've watched the news coverage of a hurricane, you'll see that the hurricane will come through a town and the walls will be all everywhere and the roof will be everywhere, but there'll still be a foundation. Or maybe a tornado, you'll see it, it will lift the house up and move it down the block. But what's still there? Their foundation is still there or a flood even, it can lift the house up and wash everything and water damage, but there's still that foundation sitting in the ground. So it made me think, okay, uh, well, what's the one thing that actually can get to a foundation? Earthquakes, right? And that's because the earthquake goes deep down on the level the foundation is, and it rocks it until it breaks, until there's cracks. And that's really like one of the most devastating things that can happen to a house. It doesn't stand a chance. Sometimes a house can withstand the wind and the water. But if your foundation crumbles, then everything on top is going down with it. So it's funny that we don't pay any attention to foundations, but really they're kind of the most important thing. And it's, it's tough. It's tough when we think, okay, well, my, what is my foundation? Who am I? If I lost everything, if I lost all my family, all my friends, all my finances, all my possessions, like who am I left? Like who am I underneath it all? If everything goes wrong, what's left of me? What does my foundation look like? And we can get kind of, and some of you are sitting here being like, well, it's not that great. So now I feel awful. Thank you for that. I'm just going to, you know, drink my free coffee and leave. But I don't, I don't want this to be discouraging. I want this to be challenging because... The, the, the way to overcome fear and to actually be vi victorious over these negative mindsets is to rather than just wait for more faith and more foundation to magically appear, we have to intentionally feed the faith that we have, even if it's small. We have to intentionally invest in our foundation, that's the only, it doesn't magically happen overnight. We don't wake up being like, wow, I am such a firm believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really happen that way. You have to actually feed and work on your foundation. And that can be scary because maybe you've been to a church and had a bad church experience and I've been there. I'm a recovering Catholic. Like I didn't want my foundation to look like that. Or, you know, some of those crazy church people, and I'm like, I don't want my life to look like that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a relationship with God. That is the foundation. But why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to actually invest time in that? 
Instead of making everything else in our life look pretty and investing in that, why is it so hard to invest in our foundation? Why is it so hard to feed our faith? And it's really crazy because if you look at it, we live in a time where we have more access to things that help our foundation, help feed our faith than ever before. I mean, we have free Bible apps on our phones. We have sermons that we can listen to or watch as we drive. We have books. We have conferences and getaways and concerts. And we have more access to things that would help feed our faith and build our foundation than any time in history. Than even the people that follow Jesus. We actually have more resources than they did. And yet we have these weak and skimpy foundations And that's because we have access to the food, but we don't actually spend the time eating it and being nourished by it. And it it reminded me of this story that a pastor was telling. He was uh, with his wife shopping, which meant that he was waiting for his wife to finish shopping. And uh, he was sitting in the food court for, you know, like the five hours or whatever her shopping spree was going to be. And he was looking around, people watching, the best thing to do with them all, honestly. And he saw these two women, and he could tell that they just loved spending time together. They were talking. They are in this engaged conversation, and she had, like, her one-year-old son with her in the stroller, and she was attempting to feed him. Not really. She was kind of more distracted with her friend, so she was just handing him food and, like, has the spoon out there and is just talking to her friend, and she is not noticing that this child is deciding he is the next Picasso. He is taking all the baby food and doing some interpretive dancing and deep conditioning, and he is just smearing it everywhere. This food is, he's literally making effort to put the food everywhere except for the one place where it needs to go. He is just making an effort to cover himself. Mom's completely oblivious, but it really struck him that that is what it's like to live, especially in America nowadays. We have access to all the food, There's many people who do the church thing. They go faithfully every day, or not every day. We don't do that. So every Sunday, they go for 50 years. They sit in the same seat in their pew. They get access to the food. It is there. They surround themselves with it, but it never actually gets past their mouth. It never actually gets into them. And those are usually the people, the church people that you don't like. (laughs) because they hear and they surround themselves and they know how to repeat after me, but it's never, they've never actually let a relationship with God change them from the inside. They've never actually let that food nourish them and grow them. And it's a challenge. It's really a challenge. We can surround ourselves all we want with spiritual food, but until we let that be a part of us, until we ingest that, until we say, you know what? I don't know about the church thing or whatever, but like I do want a relationship with God. I do want to, to figure this out and to explore this more and to, to feed on that. That's when the change happens. That's when our foundation grows strong. And uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it's, it's from the message translation, but I just like the way that they break it down. It's from Isaiah. It says, your builders are faster than your destroyers. The wrecking crews are gone for good. And to break this down, the way I love this, it says your builders are faster than your destroyers. What that means is there are destroyers. It's not saying bad things aren't going to happen to you or people aren't going to try to tear you down and life's not going to try to knock you off your feet. It's saying, yeah, that's a reality. But guess what? Your builders 
are faster than your destroyers. Mom, that's saying that you can actually clean faster than your kids can get it messy. Hallelujah. I need that superpower. So your builders are faster than your destroyers. And then my favorite part is this last section that says, the wrecking crews are gone for good, which means things can knock you down. They can slow your progress. They can't stop your progress. They can slow your progress because your builders are faster than uh, your destroyers, but you can never actually be taken out. You can't, there's no game over. There's nothing that can actually take you and completely level you, completely destroy you. You can't be built anymore. I love that verse. It's super encouraging to me to know that no matter what's coming at me, it can slow my progress, but it can't stop me because I'm building on a foundation that can't be destroyed. I'm building on a foundation that can't be swayed, that can't be rocked by anything that's going on in this world. And that's encouraging to me to know that a foundation like that exists because the more time I spend working and building on something, the more I want to know that it's going to not go anywhere when trouble comes. And for, the, the, for these early people that, that followed Jesus and, 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 you know, during his ministry, they had fears that we had. They had a lot of what ifs. They're saying, all right, this guy, Jesus says he's God. I'm taking a risk here by saying that I support him and I follow him. And they, I mean, they left their jobs, they left their homes, they followed him around for three years, invested in their, this guy, and their worst what if happened. This guy that they believed in, they said, all right, if you're God, we're going to believe it. We're just going to take this step of faith. Guess what? He got arrested. He got found guilty. He was, he was beaten, wrongly found guilty. He was beaten, tortured, and then he was killed. Their worst what if what if everything I'm investing in is all a sham, is all a lie, is not big enough, is not powerful enough? That what if came true for them. But then God flipped the script. The worst what if in history came true, and God was still bigger than the what if. He was still bigger than the outcome of that. The what if, if then. And then God came back with the God will. Jesus didn't stay dead. <laughs> He was able to, to, to come back and to flip the script and show us that even if your worst case scenario happens, God is still bigger than your worst case scenario. You're just, the wrecking crews are gone for good. Things can slow you down, but your wrecking crews are gone for good. Uh, one of the great, greatest quotes I thought uh, on this topic of fear from the book that this is based on by Furtick, it says, Fear stands in the doorways of our destiny and dares us to enter. That's powerful. There are so many things that we dream of doing and want to do, but we have this fear of what if. What if I take this chance? What if I take that job? What if I quit this job? What if I pursue this relationship? What if I, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And all that does is keep us from going through that doorway. And that's not, the, that's not the way it's supposed to be. When our foundation is firm, when our foundation is secure, when we say, you know what, I don't know everything, but I do know that God is bigger than anything I can figure out, and we base everything off of that, then fear gets kicked out. You kick him out of doors. And it's up to us. It's up to us. We actually have a choice. We have power over the fear. It's up to us to silence the voices of what if and to step through that doorway. It's, we have a choice to eat the food that will fuel our foundation, not our fears. 
there's a, a Native American story that I really loved. It was actually my desktop background for a while. And it talked about, um, like, in, inside every person, there's two wolves fighting. A wolf that represents fear and a wolf that represents goodness. And the little boy asked the man, well, which wolf will win the fight? And the old man said, the one that you feed. We have a choice to feed our fear. And that is what will win. If we continue to feed our fears, they will win. But if we choose to feed our foundation, to take our little faith that we have and say, you know what, I'm going to invest in this instead. I'm going to, instead of wasting all my time, energy, worrying about that, I'm going to invest in this instead. Our foundation will grow and it will stand and it will overpower any fear that we have. Uh, Furtick ends one of the chapters of his books with this, and I want to leave you guys with this thought. Either you kick fear out of your heart or it will keep you out of the places that God has prepared for you. So my challenge for you guys is to, to look at those what ifs and to decide to kick them out, decide to feed your foundation instead of your fears and to find the freedom that comes from being able to step through doorways that you never thought were possible to step through. Uh, we're going to pray together. God, we, we thank you so much that uh, we can rely on you. God, we've been let down by people before. We've, we've had our, our trust broken. We've had circumstances fall through. We've had life just take us by surprise with curveballs. But God, we know that you are constant and you are firm and reliable and a God of love. And Lord, help us to, to not be fearful of even getting closer to you. God, maybe we've been burned or hurt by, by church or things like that before, but God, we don't want that to keep us from having a true foundation, which is relationship with you. God, give us the courage and the, and the hunger for food that will fuel our foundation, not our fears. We just thank you that we, we don't have to be subject to them any longer. It's up to us. We have the choice. We just thank you that we do have that choice and that strength that's found in you. In your name we pray, amen.